Like free play is so important. And unfortunately, we see free play environments in terms of where kids just self-organize into their own games or or even mm. like just participating in a slightly more formalized thing like yours, but something I would still, still consider in the free play category. So welcome everyone to another episode of Basketball Nation Presents Beyond the Athlete. And today we have a special guest, uh, Mr. Alex Samara, Sarama, sorry. Um, I'll say Coach Alex Sarama, um, but he's more than a coach. Um, he's all things basketball. He's actually a basketball genius. Um, <laughs> and we're very honored to have a conversation with him today and really learn from him. Um, so stay tuned and keep your eyes and your ears peeled to this conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Alex. How are you doing today? David, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate that's probably the, uh, the nicest introduction I've ever had to a podcast, but uh, it's great to be here. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, uh, to talking to lots of different ideas. Yes, definitely, definitely. So, um, Alex, it would be great to... It'd be great to know who you are. Um, I only found out who you were um, as met at the London Lions um, under 15 select tryouts because um, I saw what you were doing with the young kids in terms of like the drills, and I was like, "This is amazing!" Like everyone's engaged, everyone's doing certain things. Like I brought a 13 year old down, and he was like, "Oh, he's he's noticed where he needs to work, improve on, and work on just from those drills." So. Where did you? Where did everything start from? What was your? Take us as far back as you can remember. Okay, great question. So, um, I grew up in Guildford in Surrey, um, Mm -hmm. playing with the Guildford Heat program. Um, I remember. I remember Guildford Heat. (laughs) Yeah, and and I was. I just got into basketball when I started secondary school. So, Mm -hmm. uh, year seven. I'd never played basketball before. Did it at school, and I just loved it. You know, it was in the school club. Um, and I'd always grown up prior to that playing football. So, mm-hmm. um, I just loved basketball. I went to a game, the Guildford Heat were playing. They're obviously the best team in the BBL at the time. And I yeah. was just right away. So yeah. that kind of started everything for me. Um, then when I, you know, as I got older and I, I was getting, going into year, like year 10 at school. So mm-hmm. I was still young. I got very into coaching. And I started running, you know, that's one of the best things about the UK at the time. Yeah. There were opportunities to coach, which wouldn't have been presented to me if I was in a more mm. traditional basketball country. It's just the yeah. reality of how it was. So naturally what happened was I got loads of opportunities to coach, got really into the game. And mm. then long story short, I started my own club when I was 16 years old. So starting my first year of sixth form. Mm. Um, it was called the Guildford Goldhawks. And eventually we did national leagues uh, we actually won the the it's this isn't you know what something that i wanted to be remembered for but we actually won the <laughs> national championship with the girls u14s one year so you know we had some good players a lot of players playing for england blah 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 mm-hmm. at that time i'd say the approach i used to coaching was traditional um mm-hmm. it was what i had grown up with it was all i knew and what i mean by traditional was a focus on using drills techniques Mm. on air practices like one on one on zero three on zero five on zero Mm. Mm. but that's all i knew at the time 
So long story short, I kept running the club. I studied history at the University of Nottingham. So I was kind of coming mm-hmm. back home every weekend. Yeah. And when I was 21, I started a position with the NBA. It started as an internship in the London office in basketball operations. Yeah. Um, and it was obviously a really cool opportunity to combine coaching and being on the court with operations and mm-hmm. administration, event planning, all of that. So it was an incredible opportunity. Got to really kind of travel, obviously develop NBA connections. But as I was doing that, David, I started becoming very passionate about actually learning more about the science of coaching. And I didn't realize that there was actually science that could be used to inform coaching and Mm -hmm. other organizational approaches in Mm -hmm. basketball, whether that's strength and conditioning, mental skills, Mm -hmm. nutrition. So I I discovered this whole field called skill acquisition. And this was basically, this is a field done looking at how athletes in any sport can become more skillful. And all that happened was I started just consuming all the research papers, trying to get as much as I could. And I realized that the whole basketball world was based on a flawed theory in terms of coaches and entire organizations, even in the NBA, in the present day, you know, have no clue as to what skill is. Um, yeah, and they they confuse skill for being techniques and patterns. Hmm. So that's kind of what began my whole journey with applying evidence based coaches, uh, evidence based mm-hmm. approaches to basketball. And this is kind of what mm-hmm. I'm known for now in the present day. Primarily, yeah. of course, in coaching because I am a coach mm-hmm. first and foremost. Yeah. But two, looking at how these ideas based on science can inform the whole approaches of entire organizations at any level from you to see. That is basically what you saw in London with the Lions. We had 160 kids, which was obviously uh, <laughs> yeah. insane. But like yeah. you said, like, every kid was engaged. And the reason why was because we were using a methodology called the constraints and approach. So instead mm-hmm. of doing rules, we were designing small environments of the game. So there was defense in everything. And yes. you know, players were having opportunities to make decisions and mm-hmm. develop functional solutions as opposed yeah. to other coaches teaching the moves, etc. And and when you discovered this science of coaching, was it widely accepted, or did people did a lot of people think like what are you talking about? Basically, is this even real? Like how? And after that, how did you take that? How did you overcome that as well? Absolutely. So. This is basically the premise of my life's mission <laughs> and my life goal mm-hmm. to shift the paradigm in basketball and other sports because I'm doing quite mm-hmm. a lot of work in other sports now. Okay, but yeah. And we'll, be able to, we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but mostly in basketball because obviously this mm-hmm. is the sport, you know, I'm passionate about. And, yeah. and that's my life's work. When I first started exploring these ideas, I didn't have kind of the evidence base behind me. So mm-hmm. I, I believe the fundamentals and things were irrelevant from quite an early age, but I couldn't articulate that. So mm-hmm. I remember a lot of NBA dinners with colleagues who I absolutely loved, but, you know, we had very different approaches. And that was great because it actually mm-hmm. allowed me, it gave me the motivation to go away and really study this stuff. So mm-hmm. as opposed to just providing an opinion, which is all I could do before, mm-hmm. now I have the science and the evidence to back it up. And, and that's yeah. a difference, David, because 
the, the traditional approach to coaching and basketball is all based on opinions and mm. trends and fads of the industry. Whereas everything I'm giving is not my opinion. It's, it's real evidence. So, mm. so that obviously is, is a huge difference. So over the years, I've been sharing more and more, and I'd say mm. it's certainly becoming more and more widespread. So for instance, last yeah. year, I had the amazing opportunity to work with coach Will Weaver at Paris Basketball, who okay. I consider as being one of the most progressive professional coaches at any level of basketball. So Will will be back in yeah. the NBA next season. But Amazing. he had obviously a great chance to apply these ideas in context in Paris. And mm-hmm. this is the reason why over the last three years I've been coaching in Italy. So I made a very kind of intentional focus instead of doing other jobs or going yeah. into like a professional scenario earlier. Yeah. I decided to do Italy because it gave me full control over the whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to show how my ideas eclipsed just coaching, but mm. everything basketball, player development, principles of play, strength and conditioning, nutrition, culture, human mm. development, all these different fields. Mm. So having my own prep academy and bringing players in, I, I, I basically could develop all my ideas. And I'd say mm. the hardest thing, David, has been having these ideas for so long and people not understanding how deep <laughs> it goes and yeah. the nature of it. You know, it's... Yeah. I feel like, especially for the last two years, you know, I've been using these ideas for about five years now, but for the mm-hmm. last two years, I feel like, you know, I've become very well versed in doing this. And obviously I'm constantly learning. And this mm-hmm. is basically why I decided to write the book, which I'm working on now called Transforming yeah. Basketball, because it's, yeah. it's even people who know me well, don't know how deep this stuff goes. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, this is basically my way of, outlining my ideas in a very clear rationale mm-hmm. i've become better through you know undertaking this process and i'm just really hoping that you know this can lead to more momentum in the basketball world mm-hmm. and through your journey from the beginning like um from when you discovered the science of coaching to the techniques and the drills that you've now so i'll say mastered um and you teach was did you have any sort of guidance during that period of time as well that sort of kept you in in line with like the consistency um, yeah. of progression basically? Absolutely. So I think I've always been interested in self development, and I don't know mm-hmm. why. You know, it's some type of thing, whatever it could have been from my childhood. But I remember kind of reading books from like the age of thirteen on things mm-hmm. like growth mindset and just evidence-based ideas kind of came to me quite naturally and I was was always very interested in them. Mm. So I actually had no mentor growing up. You're the second person on the podcast that has actually said that. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. And honestly, I think, David, that's the reason why I am who I am today because Mm. this is the whole – that's actually one of the reasons that the traditional approach is so prevalent. It's because Mm. it – having you know more senior figures tell you how you must be coaching Mm. it actually can bias you in a negative way subject to obviously the influence that they have whether they're using evidence-based processes or not and obviously because this approach is so new and no one you know especially five years ago like i think i'm i'm really one of the first to do this in basketball so Mm. you know the mentors who do these things haven't existed and that's why you see a lot of coach education 
courses based on traditional ideas. You see coaching mm-hmm. clinics based on tradition, drills based on tradition. So all these things basically lead to a very, you know, a very powerful force field effect. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's half dependency where, yeah. you know, more better ideas could exist, David, but people, you feel that they must keep using the same approach, even though a better yeah. exists. So a coach called Mark Dunning was actually the first kind of coach who took an active interest in me. He's a UK coach. Mm. And Mark just gave me loads of resources and things like that, which really, really helped me figure out the direction I wanted to go in. But really, I've just, I learned from everyone. And, you know, a lot of people in the boss world don't necessarily share these ideas, but I find ways to apply it and take their ideas and kind mm. of apply my concepts and my rationale to the things they're, they're doing. Okay, amazing. I was just checking my notes for a question that I made sure I had to ask as well. Um, do you believe that your techniques of what you've learned over the years can help excel the ecosystem of basketball in the UK right now? Because to the rest, us compared to the rest of the world, we're looking at countries like the USA, um, even parts of Africa as well. Um, you're seeing um, is the South Sudan. Their team is quite strong in the moment. They're in the World Cup um, coming up as well. Um, you look at teams like Serbia, who've always been strong. Um, what is it that, first of all, is your, what you've learned over the years, can, do you believe that that can help push basketball in the UK further? And also, what else do you think is lacking in this space? Yeah. So, I love this question. And this is something, David, I think I love to spend a lot of time <laughs> on, if that's okay with you. And we can yes, of course. Take this in different directions. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be the most relevant to the audience. So, mm-hmm. for me, I've always been passionate about UK basketball, and I actually feel somewhat sad that I've had no involvement over the last eight years. And the London Lions event was basically the first thing I did. Now, Barcelona did invite me uh, for a clinic, which I really appreciated, but that was when the Queen died. So, of course, you know, it was cancelled. So that would have been my first opportunity to come back and share these ideas. So, you know, outside of that, I've done nothing. And I think what I remember growing up is... I think a lot of things are the same today in terms Mm. of other countries are very envious of some of the things we have in terms of the players we have available, the potential that they have. Mm. But, you know, we see kind of a continuous theme arising where Mm. players don't fulfill the potential they could have from a young age. And, you know, obviously there are lots of potential reasons why this could be, but I really think that applying evidence-based ideas, most specifically in coaching, this could be the game changer that British basketball needs. So I think what we see a lot of basketball world is copy and paste. And something mm. I remember growing up is people were saying, okay, why don't we go and recruit five coaches from Serbia and bring them to the UK? But the problem is copy and paste doesn't work because exactly. yeah. every single scenario is highly complex and different. Kids in the mm. UK behave differently to Serbian kids. There yeah. are different constraints in terms of how the school system works, the competition yeah. system professionally. Yeah. Yeah. So what we have to do is take evidence-based ideas, but apply them into the UK in a way that works. And this obviously mm. requires people who have taken time to learn the UK landscape, learn about mm-hmm. UK players. So for me, David, I think everything would begin with applying the constraints that approach. So this would be coaches, instead of doing drills, 
And instead mm-hmm. of doing teaching techniques, it would be using small-sided games. So effectively, designing small parts of the game, whether that's one-on-one, two-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-threes, mm-hmm. and manipulating constraints within these. So for instance, okay, uh, if you score at the rim, it's worth five points instead of, instead of two. So what is that going to do? Well, players are going to self-organize, and they're going to find different solutions to get to the rim and finish without being told by the coach. So, Mm. you know, the whole problem with teaching players techniques is that we assume that every player is the same and we assume the same fundamental will Mm. work in the, in a complex environment of basketball. Mm -hmm. The reality is every player is very different. They have a completely different anatomy, you know, different bones, ligaments, joint sizes, different heights, wingspans. Mm -hmm. So this is why players will self-organize into different movements based on what fits them the most. Mm -hmm. So that means that as coaches, we can design these environments where players are constantly making decisions, but then self-organizing into functional movements to solve the problems that they encounter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think if UK coaches could start doing this as opposed to doing things like one-on-zero, three-man weave, and it's the same everywhere. It's not just the yeah, but especially in England, I think this could offer an unparalleled competitive advantage. Mm. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of, as I've been sharing these ideas over the last five years, a lot of, yeah. I've had the great chance to do numerous coaching clinics, speak with a lot of coaches. And I, I think that people are interested in this, but I think mm. there's just a confusion in terms of how to apply these ideas. And then a lot of coaches think it's just about playing games, which it's not. Mm. So yeah, I yeah. actually did for the London Lions, David, I did a series of coach development sessions, which are online, where I okay. really went into the nitty gritty and the details of mm. what this approach entails. And yeah. that's the great starting point. They're completely free. So coaches can access those. Um, and, you know, I shared loads of practical ideas as to how this manifests in a practice and how maybe an under 12 team runs their offense, etc. Mm-hmm. And what and do you think... Um, so um, this is still a UK question as well. Where do you think um, basketball needs to be heavily concentrated right now? Um, and my question is based on age group, um, which generation? Um, every generation is important from men's league to under 19s, to under 21s. But from what you've seen so far, where do you think basketball um, should be really concentrated on the most right now and how yeah great question so firstly i'm very excited by the work of the of the bbl and 777 mm. because i think that is obviously changing the narrative yeah so i think for me the main investment would be in coaching and youth development i think that's the way you know everything they're doing it's so necessary the steps they've taken and i mm. know uh, you know when it really comes time to focus on the youth development i think all the great things that have been implemented already will naturally just lead to even more momentum taking place. But when it comes to youth development, I would focus on evidence-based approaches. And this starts with the idea of as many as possible, as long as possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with football academies and teams Mm -hmm. of us have done some consulting there. And, you know, what we traditionally seen in the Premier League is, is a lack of evidence-based approaches over the years. And we've seen kids being signed from really young ages. <laughs> yeah. And it's been termed the race to the bottom. And yeah. 
you know, now more organizations are introduced in evidence based are introduce introducing more evidence based ideas simply yeah. because it shows that methods in the past have not worked and have not been successful. Mm. So I would start on the rationale of take getting as many kids playing as possible and focusing mm-hmm. enormously on participation. I think the basketball will do a good job of this. So it's trying to keep as many kids engaged in basketball as possible. But naturally, yeah. now it comes to how we coaching kids. And I think this is where if we use a constraint set approach instead of doing drills, mm-hmm. naturally, kids are going to be more retained in basketball. Why? They're going to mm-hmm. have way more fun. So as opposed to laps, lines, and lectures, which we see yeah. in traditional coaching schemes, kids are playing the whole time. What approach is going to be more fun? You know, obviously, the, exactly. the, the lap. So as this happens, not only are kids having more fun, but they're going to become more skillful. And I think this is yes. the kind of the biggest problems in UK basketball. And people have spoken about this things like shooting ability, you know, especially in the yeah, youth Hasn't yeah, been very huge, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> in terms of learning the game and learning about how to play, making, you know, consistently great decisions, well, obviously mm. the CL achieves this. So what happens? Well, we're going to have way more skill, skilled kids. Mm. Naturally, mm-hmm. the whole system improves. The BBL becomes way better because the domestic players are so superior to what we've had in the past. So it's yeah. a very, you know, it's... It's small steps which could lead to huge changes. And obviously what this requires is investing in coaching development. And this is where it's not easy because sports as a whole have a habit of putting people in charge who don't always necessarily understand what evidence-based ideas are. So it just leads a continuation of traditional ideas. And this is in federations all over the world. So this means, you know, England could pioneer a completely different coaching approach based on the ideas I advocate for. And I think, you know, this could really, really change the whole narrative of British basketball for the better. Okay. That's that's amazing. And it's 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 quite interesting because um I know I haven't spoken much about what we do. So we actually started out, Basketball Nation started out, um we all started running scrimmages every week, every okay. Saturday. Um and we started it for 16 plus year olds. Um, we, we do get like, for example, my young guy, Josh, who's 13 or six or four. So we have him come down play with the older guys as well. Um, another 13 year old, he's about five, eight point guard. Um, and another 14 year old, who's six, seven. <laughs> so those three amongst the um, other guys come down and play. Um, we would, I think when we started, we started off with about 25 people. And then that grew to crazy numbers. There's times where we had like 10 people come like that came down, but then we just kept going and then just started growing to like sometimes we'll get 70 people, 80 people because we don't charge. We actually run it for free for three hours. Um, but we had to, it wasn't feasible to be to have 80 people there based on risk um, or all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we had to reduce that down to 45 to 50. Um, and we came up with a structure that would bring value to the players so that they're not just coming just to do a just a regular scrimmage basically they just come have a scrimmage go so what we started to do is create a system where if we had 45 people there's eight teams and for the first hour and a half would do a structure of like a league structure so you play if you win three games straight you come off and then the next two teams come on basically so everyone was guaranteed to play 
at least five, um, at least one game against each other. Um, so that means everyone's guaranteed to play eight games. And then after that, we'll go on to um, who has the most wins after the hour and a half, and then go into sort of like the top six um, would play like a playoff um, game with, sure. with, and that playoff game would be two to three series, depending on how much time we have. Um, the other two teams would then now be subs for the other teams as well. So they, we don't exclude them at all. So they will make, they'll be subs for the other teams. And then once that's done, we'll have the finals. So the finals will actually showcase that on Instagram live, um, which would be like the last sort of 15 minutes. And each game was five minutes first to seven. So very high paced, um, very team orientated as well. So people are not just sh- um, running and gunning. They have to play as a team to score because every point counts in such a short time. Um, and the winner of the day, the whole team, we get vouchers from like JD Sports or sometimes my wife comes down, she always comes with a gift and then oh, gives nice. it out to all the players as well. So everyone always leaves, well, the winning team always leaves with something at the end of the day. So rather than them coming and paying, they're coming for free and then leaving with something just to kind of show, the, just to kind of show how important they are to us, um, how important they are to the game as well. Um, and that structure has kind of enabled a lot of the guys when they've gone back to their teams to be able to work better with their teammates, um, sure. whether it's them doing all the little things like diving for the basketball, rebounding, passing. They don't have to always be the top scorer, um, but they, if they can score, then they're taking up that burden as well. Um, so that structure has really worked. That, And I think that's what's made a lot of people really like our sessions. Um, and a lot of the young guys has helped them develop as well because they can be a part of something that's, quite bigger with more experienced players as well. So it's sure. pretty much in line with like that whole like system of how we actually train and coach the kids in the UK as well. It, it can't be very vague or copy and paste. Like you said, you have to kind of create something based on your knowledge and understanding of the people as it's, well. That's an amazing example of that. And I think too, yeah. just- you know, you, you spoke about constraints. So obviously a key, yeah. a key part of the CLA is using constraints to shape movement mm-hmm. skills. So, yeah. um, you know, the nature of the games, the format, that, that mm-hmm. you know, that's an example. I think too, David, like free play is so important. And unfortunately, we see free play environments in terms of where kids just self-organize into their own games or, or even, mm-hmm. you know, by just participating in a slightly more formalized thing like yours, but something I would still consider in the free play category. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we're seeing all of that being um, suppressed by working with skills trainers who are not really skills trainers, but teaching techniques. Mm -hmm. And especially Mm -hmm. in the U.S., this has become a huge problem. So I think something that would also be really important for the UK, for UK basketball is to explore opportunities to develop more free play opportunities. So Yeah. yeah, have structured practices where ideally kids are practicing in CLA practice environments using the constraints that are problem. And then that can be supplemented by really good free play experiences. Mm. Okay. Amazing. And let's dive into your book that you're currently um, developing at the moment you're about to release. Um, What's what inspired you to write this book as well? And what's the, what's the purpose and the value from it also? Absolutely. So it's basically my complete manifesto for how mm-hmm. this can enormously impact, you know, the Barca world. So yeah. let's take a pro team. It could be the London Lions playing in Euro Cup, right? Yeah. 
it's all these ideas could provide a competitive advantage but mm -hmm. simply you know no other program in that competition is even coming close to but then mm -hmm. it's not just that it it could apply to a whole federation and mm -hmm. the processes and procedures that they create to develop skilled mm -hmm. players yeah. it could apply to a volunteer coach who has two practices a week on the 12s looking for ideas in terms of how they can use evidence-based approaches so it's mm -hmm. i've really written the book for everyone and not just coaches but people working in every single role from gms mm -hmm. scouts to physios coaches tr trainers everything mm -hmm. so it's 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 very complex these ideas and it's not easy to understand and and you know i haven't mm -hmm. gone into a lot of, on the on this podcast just because it's yeah. it's difficult and it's not easy to understand <laughs> this stuff so the the book really helped me present these ideas in a very kind of coherent and 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 better articulated format so mm -hmm. the idea is that it, it's going to leave people with a really clear understanding as to mm -hmm. how they can practically use the theory but also at the same time i, I don't want to skim over the theory because mm -hmm. it's really important to understand it because the, the kind of the analogy i give is i'm i'm showing people how to create their own recipes so yeah. i'm not I'm not, you know, giving them the recipe that must be followed because, like we said, yeah. copy and paste doesn't work. And and of this course. is unfortunately what we see in basketball where mm. teams just copy entire playbooks and all their sets are just run on base, based on what the coaches have used in the past or mm. what they've seen other teams do. Whereas mm. you know, they haven't thought about what principles of play could be most effective for the players we have, the league we're yeah. in, and the opponents we're going to play. Yeah. So it, it's everything in terms of not just designing principles of play but working procedures activities and practices so basically individuals are going to be empowered to really mm. understand the theory and then be able to apply it in their own context no matter mm. how unique that may be and uh, the 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 book i'm guessing will be across the span of sports and not just one specific sports as well great and, question so yeah. i've written it for basketball in mind and, mm -hmm. and and the reason why is because obviously basketball is what is you know <laughs> most close to my heart and it's the, yeah. the industry i envision working you know mm -hmm. most of my life in fingers crossed mm -hmm. of course i could do this in other sports but to me it's just it's not as it doesn't mean as much because i want to see basketball you know become one of the sports that adopts these ideas and benefits from it so yes. i've written it for basketball in mind but um it's going to be very easily interpreted by coaches from other sports, whether it's lacrosse, football, rugby, mm -hmm. all the ideas can easily be applied in those settings as well. Okay. Amazing. And I, t I did say I was going to come back to this um, in regards to beyond, because this podcast is called beyond the athletes. So we're also not looking at just basketball, but sports in general as well. Um, in regards to the other sports that you said that you currently work in, if you can just outline which sports they are and the impact that you're currently having in them as well and any transferable skills or techniques that you believe can be applied into the world of basketball also. Absolutely. So I've done uh, work in football, lacrosse, hockey, American football, mm -hmm. Uh, rugby, and I've even done nice. things in law enforcement, looking at how you can no apply way. these law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I think, too, just a lot of these ideas could 
affect businesses and organizations develop better processes like you know a lot of the things i speak about it it's kind of you you know you have to have a progressive environment and mm. and an organizational culture which facilitates innovation new ideas challenging the status quo and you know yeah. a lot of companies don't necessarily have that because they're very entrenched in the same methods they've always used this is the exact same as coaching so you yeah, know i've, yeah. I've of different fields a lot of different people uh, are interested in the things i i talk about mm-hmm. but yeah i think what you know there's a huge advantage obviously to a multi-sports approach and i think that's probably mm-hmm. one of the things that the american high school system benefits from and unfortunately yes. that be negatively eclipsed by things like aau and just mm-hmm. kids playing march and then oh you know early specialization occurring where kids just do one mm-hmm. sport from a young age but I, you know, I think, especially for like clubs in the UK, if, if, you know, there's ever a situation where a club is able to do four or five practices a week with a youth team, which would obviously mm-hmm. be amazing, you know, doing other things in those sessions. So for instance, a lot of the time when I'm warming players up, whether that's in where, what we did in Paris or what I did mm-hmm. in college prep, we do other sports. So we might play football for 10 minutes as a warm up with different constraints. Mm-hmm where they can't tackle each other, but they only have mm. three seconds on the ball. We might play handball, but like there's loads of different things I've done. And, and you know, I think the whole idea is from a CLA perspective, we're mm. becoming, we're developing better movers. So athletes who are able to express more varied uh, movement solutions, mm. obviously they're going to be able to do more in basketball. Yes. Um, so that's something that really kind of holds true. And I think it's, the things I speak about, David, it's not just relevant to basketball in terms of the same problems that encounter the basketball world are encountered by all these other sports. Football can sometimes be more traditional, and, and that's even more frustrating given that they have resources which far outweigh basketball. Uh, so mm. they could easily invest in, in you know, bringing the right people on board to consult mm. and learn about how to apply these things. Now, of course, there are some... A lot of the people I've learned from people like Mark O'Sullivan work in, in the football world, but mm. again, it you know I'd say traditional approaches far kind of a far more dominant than contemporary ones. Yeah. Um, so it's you know I think it's really interesting for the whole sporting landscape. And one of the things I hope that the book can do is shift mm-hmm. this narrative in all sports and get people really understanding you know that there's a completely different worldview out there. And it's yeah. quite be explored and taken advantage of for the good of the players. Of course, of course. And when are you planning to release your book as well? So I'm, I'm just in the final stages now, and I'm mm-hmm. targeting kind of a late summer or fall release. And it's oh, amazing. Oh, that's through, yes, that's through Amazon. So it's going to be available on Amazon on, on every country. Okay. Okay. Amazing. I've got a few more questions to ask. Um, the next one is on the digital side how impactful social media how impactful is social media right now in terms of um spreading a narrative when it comes to sports especially with what you're currently doing as well in, in, in regards to science of coaching um how effective can that be and relatable to young athletes especially the next generation as well yeah so i think it's either a positive or negative factor subject yeah. to the the ideas being shared so i think you're frozen <laughs> there we go i think that's oh, yeah. come back. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um 
I think it's great, firstly, to see how many kind of coaches embrace social media. But I think the big problem is it's actually led to more traditional coaching because, you know, the, the rage these days is for skill trainers to post some type of move or technique. And then that's what other coaches see. And they think that's what effective coaching is because it gets loads of likes. So then, you know, others naturally, they want to achieve the same kind of credibility, the same number of followers, get the same number of likes, engagement. So what mm-hmm. happens? Well, they start sharing the same or highly similar ideas. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, obviously, I'm taking a very different approach to social. I think, you know, it's been good because I think others are starting to do the same who are more in line with these contemporary ideas. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's very important that people have an awareness and a filter when they're on social media and they're mm-hmm. not just blindly copying things but actually thinking – does this make sense? Is there an evidence base that supports these ideas? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that's quickly going to lead to people being able to use social more effectively. So, for instance, what I see a lot is I might see a drill being used on social media, which I would never use because I don't do things mm-hmm. without events. But mm-hmm. then I might take inspiration from it and find a way to add a defender. And now, you know, mm-hmm. that exists perfectly within the framework that I use. You um, modify it, basically. Exactly. exactly. Mm. And I I think, too, for players, it can be a really good thing because Mm. they're becoming aware of different movement solutions that are basically available to them. So I don't like the idea of players seeing a technique and then trying to copy that because, like, you know, I've spoken about that early on, that that doesn't make sense because that technique emerged – in response to a very unique scenario of a different player trying mm-hmm. to solve that problem. So, but what it does do is players being, seeing different things, they might think about a solution in a way that they haven't thought of before. This is called mm-hmm. some, obviously, affordance landscape. So, so all that is an affordance is basically an invitation for action. So an affordance mm-hmm. landscape, taking an example of a player finishing, you know, what are all the different opportunities to finish? Maybe they might have to pass out instead. So what social media is great for is basically, you know, presenting these scenarios to players in a way that they might not have considered a problem before. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite interesting as well. Um, And even when I even think about that, not even just coaches that do drills and stuff like that on social media, I'm also looking at basketball communities as well, like ourselves. Um, You have other um, communities, eyeball, um, hoop space, etc. Um, and I feel like they're having quite a lot of impact with young people as well. But then I feel like there's also a ceiling with that as well, that what's next when you're doing so many sessions, um, you're taking them out to socials, um, you're building a family, a community, but what what's the next step after that in terms of providing value and providing access uh, for a lot of those young players as well? Um, what would you say about, about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, that's essentially the, the whole premise. I think any kind of interaction in person in live mm-hmm. with other people is going to um, have more of a tangible impact than doing things mm-hmm. digitally or online. So in coaching, you know, that's why something I say a lot is a lot of coaches now are trying to learn my ideas and 
survey. It's great. They study them. They read my blogs. They may be yes. buy my courses online, but it doesn't mean that they can necessarily apply it because by seeing mm. it real in person, you know, you see things which you can't see on the video, how I interact with the players, how I speak to them, how I mm. run a whole session and keep and move and, and run at a very fast pace. So mm. I think that's the same in your context. It's like, you know, whenever we can do something in person, I, I think that can have a far greater impact on yes, indeed. the players and whoever it is we're working with. Yeah. Okay. So my last few questions would be, the first one would be, do you have a question for me? Absolutely. I would <laughs> love, I would love to hear about just some of the things I've spoken about mm. today in terms of, you know, transforming the narrative, apply evidence-based ideas. Do you think that there's scope to apply any of these things in your context or, 100%. you know, yeah. Love it. hundred percent. And that's, um, that's one of the reasons why I even approached you when I first met you, because um, one of the guys um, that was at the trials, I actually played um, basketball with him when I was at Coventry University. And um, he's now a coach at Greenhouse. And he told me who you were. I was like, oh, okay. So I researched you. I was trying to find, he couldn't remember your name. So I was trying to find your name, but he remembered the first name, Alex. Ended up finding you, read about you. I was like, oh, I like where his mind and his concept is like in terms of like how you see basketball because i'm always someone that likes to be innovative Love um, it. so like even something like for example um with basketball nation as much as we're a basketball community in my mind my i'm already thinking about creating the first um basketball sneaker that comes out of the uk that's not Almost. nike adidas um i'm also create thinking of of developing a video game for the bus like for the basketball community that comes from UK as well. So I'm thinking about those things and I'm just trying to think innovation, innovation, innovation. How do we push the narrative forward rather than just keep doing the same thing over and over again? Um, so I really believe that your, your, um, your transformational skills would be highly, highly important and highly, highly valuable with what we're currently doing as well. Definitely. That's really cool. And that's yeah. it. We're, we're both, you know, in, in our own unique context, we're both disrupting mm. the status quo. And, yeah. and I think that's exactly what it's about. And that's why I think, you know, people in whatever industry in life, if they have disruptive ideas, you yeah. know, they're more likely going to get on and, and yeah. for that reason. Yeah, honestly, you, you should, the conversation I have with myself sometimes and even some of my guys as well, I'm like, who who says, why is it that basketball has always been three on three, one on one and five on five for so many years. Or is no one ever said, oh, let basketball be seven v seven and we just extend the court a bit larger. And then it's more of a team sport now because there's there's less space for you to be dribbling and moving around, but now you're actually having to play with your teammates, basically. It's a great right? constraint. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I've actually done that in a few practices. Oh, so there you go. Said, no, just literally, just for what, how you said, you know, yeah. how can players play in less space? And yeah. how can they adapt? And mm. it's going to make them more skilled because they have yeah. to figure out new solutions that they've never encountered before. Exactly. So, so I'm always thinking about those things. Why? Why does this have to be this way? I'm always questioning it. Why? Is, why does it have to be this way? Why can't it be this way? Um, it's, it's another human being that made that it five on five. Exactly. So another human being can make it six on six. Another human being can say no. From outside, the three could be four points. Could be five points. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's. 
I, I love that. And you're just like, you're making me think, David. It's like, why does the warm-up in basketball always have to be the same? Why, yes. <laughs> why does offense and defense have to be the same? Why, do, yeah. why does the practice plan have to be followed? Yeah. Why do staff members work so separately? It's like all these things. And that's exactly, yes. I, I love what you, how you just framed that because mm. that's basically what I want the book to do. Just make people, yeah. instead of being passive consumers, of the way things have always been done, ask the question, is there a different way we can do this? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Amazing. Thank you for that. Um, next question would be um, bench, the starts bench trade. Okay. LeBron, Michael, Kobe. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to have to start um, MJ for sure. Okay. Sure. As most people say. <laughs> yeah. I would... Oh, man. I really like both Kobe and LeBron in, in their own ways. Yeah. I, would have to bench, uh, I would have to bench Kobe and trade LeBron, okay. unfortunately. <laughs> okay, cool. I, I, always, every, I think most people have actually said that. Um, okay. But um, who did I speak to? I spoke to... It was Matt from Ballers Life. And he... I, I keep telling this to everyone on the podcast. So on the podcast, you're always going to hear this. But Matt from Boiler's Life, I believe he said that he would trade LeBron because he can get quite a lot of good pieces <laughs> ah, <laughs> to, see, to join. <laughs> so that was his answer. So <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was genius. I was like, okay, cool, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, amazing. And next question, final but not least question is who would you recommend or would like to see on the podcast? this podcast absolutely i would say anyone in the uk basketball scene who is challenging mm-hmm. the status quo and okay. you know i would love to hear more from people who are doing this because I, I think the uk basketball has produced you know there's some really talented individuals working in uk basketball so you know whatever field it is whether it's media whether mm-hmm. it's um what they're doing in terms of running a business coaching mm-hmm. Leading, mm. like leading young people, like whatever it is, just you know, people who who are doing things differently. Um, mm. I think that's. I'm really always interested in hearing about that. Have you heard of the skills trainer, um, Nate Lucas? I haven't. No. Okay. Um, I'll send you his um, Instagram page. I feel. I feel like he's someone. Definitely, I want to have one here. Um, I'm actually getting him to train my 13 year old guy as well. Um, but he's very, how can I put it? He does a lot of like mobility movement training that you apply to when you're actually physically playing. So sure. I, I know he trains his brother and he was showing a video of um, um, doing lunges with the weights, but it was the way he was doing the lunges. And then the next video was him showing him doing a crossover with the same lunge movement as well, uh, which I thought that was quite impressive um, awesome. and his brother is really good as well um so someone like him i, I think would be amazing to kind of pick his brain on this Definitely. podcast yeah so yeah but alex that's all from me thank you very much for today oh, my pleasure um, I enjoyed it Yes, me too, me too. And this is not the first, this is not the last time. Um, we're definitely going to speak again. Hopefully, get you on some future episodes as well. When the book's <laughs> out, we can discuss that a bit more as well. I'd love to. Um, and yeah, let's, we'll definitely keep in touch. Um, Great when stuff. In the UK, we'll meet Great up. Stuff. Maybe go I'd love for lunch to see what you guys do in person. And uh, exactly, you know, it would be really cool. Amazing. Thank you very much.
Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, everyone. And have a good evening, afternoon, or morning, wherever you're watching from. Take care, Boston Nation. Peace out.